0: We are continuing in uh, Genesis chapter 49, <clears throat> and in Genesis chapter 49, uh, Jacob is just about to die. He dies right at the end of this chapter. He ri- dies right at the end of the things that he's going to be proclaiming to his sons in this chapter. And and um, uh, so these are his last words to his family. So all his sons are gathered around him. He's called all his sons together because he's essentially reading out the will uh, as to what's going to take place. But actually, he says, this is what's going to take place in the in the end times to come. So let's start reading again from chapter 49 of Genesis, verse one. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch." I want to focus still today on Reuben. As I was just seeking the Lord for the the message for today, I've been seeking the Lord all week for this. He just wouldn't let me get past Reuben. We covered Reuben last week, but I want to go into and look at this, just take this gem and just turn it a little bit and look from a slightly different facet here. And he says to Reuben, he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. My might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. The firstborn had enormous influence over the rest of all those brothers, was supposed to. And he had preeminence. He had it all. He had the preeminence. But he says in verse four, you lost it you lost it because you're uncontrolled as water and you shall not have preeminence. It's not just a matter of his fall from preeminence. Now comes the declaration, you shall not have it. Before his father, before uh, we, we saw that that when he had tried to convince his brothers of something, his brothers just blew him off, had nothing to do with what he he, he had to tell them, which was very unusual in that culture. And you see the two brothers that that end up having authority here are Joseph and Judah. So Reuben lost all of this, and it's going to affect his descendants after him. He says, you are uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence. And it's because he went up, it says, to his father's bed. He ended up sleeping with, with one of his father's wives. Not, and so his, his, um, he ended up sleeping with one of his father's wives, and his father's calling him out on it 40 years later. And so what you see is his sexual behavior destroyed his life. His sexual behavior destroyed his life. He says you were uncontrolled as water. And then he specifically tells us in what aspect he lacked control. And it was in his sexual behavior. Um, you know, I, I don't particularly enjoy speaking about this topic. But this is the heart of where so much happens. So much happens based on this. And, and uh, uh, if you think about it, and uh, for those of you who are older, you're just going to have to reflect back to what it was like when you were younger. The sexual realm is so utterly consuming to people. So utterly consuming, both to men and to women. Now, some people it's less so, some people it's more so, but I would say, you know, I deal, I work with young people. I've, I went to college when I was 18 years old and I have never left. I've been there ever since. And, and so I'm around young people all the time. I've been around young people all of my life. <laughs> and, and uh, this is the thing that's most consuming to them. The thing that, that, that grabs their thoughts and so we're going to just look at this and see what God is directing for us. You know, when when the gospel was first shared with me, when the gospel was first shared with me in in uh, uh, when when I was eighteen years old, the gospel was shared with me, and a young man started sharing with me, and he shared this verse from from the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I said to him, I'm not i 'm not a sinner because in my mind, I had to really hurt somebody, and which is the typical Jewish mindset I come from a Jewish home. The typical Jewish mindset is you really had to hurt somebody physically you had or you, you know you had to rob a bank do do something like that but but uh, um, then he turned to a verse when i said i 'm not a sinner he turned to a verse and says in, in matthew five twenty eight matthew five twenty eight says but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart everyone that looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart in his heart and that just stabbed me because I was addicted to pornography from the age of 14 and I was super convicted by this and and um, uh, it just hit me really hard and He had my attention at that point. And he says, everyone who looks at a woman will lust for her. I didn't know how to look at a woman any other way. That's all I knew. And I thought, how did, of of all verses in the Bible for him to read, that's the one that really hit me. And so Jesus gets at this point, and he knows exactly how to put it right in our face want to turn to Titus. Turn to Titus, if you would. The book of Titus, chapter 2. We're going to start reading from verse 11. Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. Titus, chapter 2, verse 11. And what we're going to read is one sentence in the New American Standard Bible. Whether it's one sentence in the Greek, I don't know. But this is one long sentence. It goes through from verse 11 through verse 14. <clears throat> Titus chapter two, reading from verse 11, for the grace of God is appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds <laughs> let's look again at verse 11 of Titus chapter 2 for the grace of god has appeared the grace of god has appeared what is grace grace is an undeserved gift an unmerited favor the grace of god has appeared in god there is grace there is there are undeserved gifts in god and Through this, he brings salvation to all men. Why does he bring, what's the reason for him bringing salvation to all men? Well, look at it in verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. God absolutely instructs us to deny ungodliness. We make decisions in our lives that can cause us to be uncontrolled as water and destroy great things in our lives. Now, let me say up front, I am not judging anybody. I'm not judging anybody, whether it's fornication or adultery or homosexuality. It's of no mind to me. I'm not judging anybody. I have plenty, plenty of my own sin, plenty in me. There's enough in me to go around to many. But we're looking at the word of God and we should never lower the word of God to our own experiences, to our own failings. God is trying to bring us up to a higher level. He in verse chapter ch- chapter 2 of Titus verse 12, he instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. There are things that we do with our own lives that we are to deny and to and to put aside worldly desires. And to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. God calls us to live differently than the present age calls us to. He calls us to live righteously, live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. We are not supposed to do what other people do. Other people get angry and start cursing. We're supposed to live differently. God calls us to live differently. We are called to be living differently than others looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Our focus is to be on something greater. And that's the return of our Lord Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. He came to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. He wants to purify us. This is what it's all about. Zealous now for good deeds. We are to be excited about doing good deeds. Deeds that are good. Deeds that are righteous and holy. We're to be excited about that. He calls us to be different. That's what Jesus does. He calls us to be different and he gives us power. He gives us power. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Every good thing that you read, we're turning now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be reading in that chapter starting at verse 12. But I want you to know that if there's any good thing that comes to us in life, it is because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, reading from verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. If you think you stand, if you think, It's okay, I got this, don't worry. I've got victory over lust. I've got victory over that sort of sin. The Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Where your cry should be is, Lord, protect me. Lord, watch over me. Lord, I am weak and you are strong. If anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. If any of us start judging another, let me tell you something. We may well fall into the same thing, even as the Bible tells us to be wary that we don't fall into the same thing. If anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, No temptation of First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape So that you will be able to endure it. The Bible here says no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. If you think you're the only one with sexual struggles, that I can assure you, you are wrong on. If you think you are the only one with lustful thoughts that go through your mind, you're not alone. He says, but... God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Whatever situation that we are in, God has given us already the strength to deny it, to deny falling into to sin. But with the temptation, he will p- provide the way of escape also, so that we will be able to endure it. The way we often avoid venta- uh, temptation is we escape from it. We escape. We escape from temptation. Let me show you, let me give you an examples of that. There are things that I physically do to prevent myself from falling into temptation. I don't want to be alone in a room with a woman that is not my wife. You say, oh, well, you know, Dr. Tord, you know, this wouldn't bother. No, I am vulnerable. I don't want to be alone in a room with a woman that is not my wife. So when 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 students come into my office, female students come into my office, the door always stays open, always stays open when a female student is in my office. The door always stays open. And actually, I have another level of protection. And some of you might say, oh, that's so extreme. Fine, you can say it's so extreme. But I need extreme protection. So I do this. I have video cameras in my office areas in my labs for security, but those are always running and always digitally recording. And there's a sign on the door coming into my office area that says video recording. So it's not like I'm, I'm fooling anybody. And there's, no, there's no audio, but the video is there. That helps me because in my laboratory manager's office, he has a screen and on that screen is a little view of every camera that we have in the labs and the offices. So there's always someone who can see what's happening in my office. I am glad for that. I wanted a camera in my office. And that camera protects me from others who may make accusations. It also protects me from myself. And that's where I need more protection. It protects me from myself. I don't like to ride in a car with another woman. I try to avoid that as best I can if that woman is not my wife, if I'm alone with another woman. It also allows me to have protection from people that might make accusations or might think about things. Oh, he was coming out of his office. He had the door shut with that attractive young lady and they were in there for a long time and he's coming out with a big smile on his face. I don't need that sort of accusation. I don't need people thinking about that. And so the Bible even encourages us. It says, stray even from the appearance of evil in the King King James. It says that. So I want to be even free from the appearance of evil. It says says that he will provide the way of escape. The end of of, uh, verse 13, he says that, that with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Very often the way of escape is you don't, put yourself in a position where these things can happen. I don't want to, I, I, you know, I don't want to be alone in a room studying with somebody, a woman who's not my wife. I just don't want to do that. And, and uh, sometimes when I am traveling, uh, a few professors will get together and, and uh, we'll say, okay, come up to my room, we'll work on this document together. And I've been up in, in, in uh, other people's uh, um, uh, hotel rooms if they're a man. And we're working on a document together. We're pulling a paper together in in some collaborative thing and we happen to be in another city where we were at a meeting and start pulling something together. I would never do that with a woman. I don't do that with a woman. The way of escape for me is I don't even go in the room in the first place. That's the way of escape. When you realize how susceptible you are to troubles... And, and uh, if you have same-sex attractions, then you have to be vigilant with the same sex, not to be alone in places. You have to be vigilant. And you say, oh, you know, this is just kind of old and prudish. Take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. I have seen so many people fall. And it brings destruction in marriages, destructions in lives. That man, Reuben, was uncontrollable. He was uncontrollable in his ability to deal with his sexual desires. The man was uncontrollable. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy, the book of 2 Timothy, and we're going to start reading in chapter 4 of the book of 2 Timothy. I mean, the, the, the Bible gives us ways of escape. I hope you learn to take the Bible and just, just capitalize on this, this treasure chest that you have. It is an absolute Uh, uh, a treasure it's a gem to give us give us uh, a protection if you look in second timothy chapter 4 verse 18 second timothy chapter 4 verse 18 the lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever amen The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. What Paul is talking about actually in this context is all the things coming against him. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Can I share with you? I want to just share with you one of the things in my life which I have feared the most. You "You have fears? Yeah, I have fears. One of my greatest fears is this. That all through my married life, one of my greatest fears is this that i would so defame the name of the lord and so hurt my wife by committing adultery that has caused me i just i just think no lord please lord let that never ever happen to me that i would you know if i were to commit adultery god would not allow that to be hidden oh no no way even as the bible says that would be shouted from the rooftop to whom much is given, much is expected. With as much as He has blessed me, with the position that He has put me in, I mean, that would be shouted from the rooftop. Maybe not right away. Maybe in three months or in six months or in a year, but it would come out. I don't want to bring shame to the name of my Lord. And I don't want to bring hurt to this woman who has cared for me and loved me and been at my side for almost 40 years. And I have so worried. I said, "Lord, please never let me fall into adultery." And you say, "Oh, well, you don't have to worry about that." No, I had to worry about that. I had to worry about that because I don't have the resistance that that uh, that Joseph had. So we read about how Joseph, when he was working in the house, the, how that that uh, woman who owned the house waited till her husband was away, and then she planned it. So that no other men were in the house. No other workers were in the house. Because she had been hitting on him for weeks. For months. Maybe even years. She was hitting on him. It says he was a handsome man. And she was hitting on him. Not in those terms. In fact the Bible. If you read in in the Old Testament. Most of the sexual things written. Are written in in euphemistic terms. Because the actual terms are too crude. So it uses euphemisms. Where she kept coming to him. Lie with me. I'm sure she wasn't using those t- that terminology. Lie with me. I'm sure she was using something uh, uh, much more crude that that would draw a young man. And then she says, "Well, just lie with me here in the bed." I mean, this is pretty innocent. Well, she had. A, I mean, he wouldn't do it. I am telling you, I don't think that I could have resisted that if I had been alone in a room with a woman who had charge over me, like she she was. You know, the master's wife, she had charge over him. That man's resistance was amazing. He had to be in the house to do his job. She planned it that way. I will avoid those situations because I know my strength isn't to that level. And I praise God that the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He has rescued me from every evil deed. He has not let me be put in situations where I wouldn't be able to handle it. He has protected me. He has protected me. The Lord has done this. I need that level of protection. If you look in, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, you know, in Matthew chapter 6, you have the Lord's prayer. Uh, the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 13, it says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That, that's profound. That's profound. Lord, do not lead me into temptation. I don't need the temptation. Lord, protect me from temptation. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver me from evil. Don't even let me fall into those places of temptation. And so my prayer is so often, Lord, deliver me. Do not lead me into temptation. Don't even let me fall into the places where I might be tempted. I need that because I don't want to be uncontrollable as water and lose everything from preeminence. He was just cast down from preeminence. You will lose everything, it says in the book of Proverbs. If you commit adultery, you lose everything. I need that protection. And even before I was married, I tried to avoid being alone with women, because I knew where my heart was. If you are a believer, I urge you to avoid those places of temptation because I know what it does. I know what it does. I know how it destroys the heart. I I know how it destroys lives. I want to read to you a portion. I have a I have a teaching on my website called Scriptural Sexual Ethics. It's a six part teaching, and each part is about thirty minutes. It's something that I recorded, I actually put together uh, uh, about 16, 17 years ago. About 17 years ago, I recorded it about 16 years ago and put it up on my website in, I think, around 2005. And what it does, it's a teaching on, on scriptural sexual ethics, and, and uh, um, you know, it's, it is dated. There's terms there I use that, that you know, culture has changed so fast that it's dated and there's things that I would say. I would certainly have been far more sensitive if I were doing it today to same-sex attractions uh, and far more sensitive about the way I would have spoken about that topic because I've come a long way in understanding more about that. I mean, uh, to my shame, I've been totally ill-equipped, ill-equipped over the years when, when young men have come to me uh, to share with me about their same-sex attractions and, and, what does this mean and what do they do? And I was, I was, you know, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm just a, I'm just a chemist. I mean, I just know about molecules. I mean, that's all I really know. And I'm, I'm not even a Bible scholar. I'm not a theologian. None of those things. And, and I was ill-equipped to know how to deal with that. So I would have said things differently. And even when I listened to teachings that I gave 10 years ago, I thought, wow, I, I would have said things differently today. But, um, but anyway, but there's, there's enough truth in those teachings that I'm not going to take them down. But let me read to you something from just the introduction to the scriptural sexual ethics uh, uh, lectures that I give there on the internet. And I first start by saying, I'm not throwing stones. I have loads of my own sin. I'm not coming against anyone. Trust me, I have bunches of my own sin. I have, I have enough for all of us. Um, As far as I can tell, philosophically, it appears there's only one way to have an unforgivable sin. And that is to refuse to acknowledge that we sin. We're all in need of mercy. And to rationalize sin is to deny our need of mercy. If we are rationalizing, saying, well, it's okay, it's okay. Let Let me throw another one out there on this even if you are engaged to be married, if you are not married, you should not be cohabitating. And the reason I know that know it is this, and you say, well, w- what does it matter to have, you know, somebody just proclaim, it matters a big deal. Because if you lower moral standards before you get married, they will be lowered in marriage. You will continue to Question your spouse and their, their, their uh, uh, faithfulness to you when they have already showed you that they're unfaithful in what they know is to be right before marriage. If you are a believer cohabitating before marriage and thinking, well, it's not adultery. I mean, we're going to be getting married or it's not adultery because we're, you know, I'm not married to somebody else you lower moral standards before marriage they'll be lowered in marriage you can say well how do you know this i have a lot of experience in this i my the world is 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 my database i've dealt with students so much over the years the world is my database on this sex is often the most consuming aspect for young people and it doesn't just stop with the young I have experience with this too. It runs right into middle-aged and right into older age. Sex can be utterly overwhelming in its power. I mean, C.S. Lewis, I'm going to paraphrase this because it's been years since I read it, but he puts it something like this. If a man is an overeater, he might eat 50% more than a normal man or double the amount of a normal man. That's how much... You know, a person who grossly overeats might consume double the amount of calories that he or she should. But when it comes to the sexual realm, a man, if given opportunity, in other words, if he had all the women he wanted, he could populate a city. He has the physical ability to populate a city. So what God has given is wild in it, in the extreme of what it's been given, in its power, in the proportion that's been given to people. And that's why I bring this thing up. You think it's easy for me that that Jim Tour wants to talk about? No, I'd rather be talking about another subject. But this is where most young people are dealing with. This is what their minds are around. I know this. And if your mind is not around this, good for you. Your neighbor's mind is around this. Sex is often the most consuming aspect for young people, <clears throat> and it was for me, and it is for me. And it's often the most emotionally most emotionally painful aspect for young people as well. Getting married does not cure sexual disorder. Only redemption can. If anyone enters marriage with deep-seated sexual disorders, he condemns his partner to a terribly unpleasant life of sexual objectification. This is, this is you, you know, it, it just tries to become clear on this. Um, but I ask you this, do not lower God's standard to your own personal experience. People have personal experiences and they say, well, you know, I, I just can't help myself. That's my personal experience. Don't lower God's standards to that. Don't lower God's standards to your own personal experience. God's standards are always higher. When Jesus said, said, when you look at a woman to lust for her, you've committed adultery. That was a crazy high barrier. In the typical Jewish mindset, you are an adulterer when you commit adultery. That's what makes you an adulterer. And I have shared this verse with my Orthodox Jewish friends. When I share that verse, Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her, they'll look at me and contest. How can that be? Every man does that. How can that be? You see, Jesus has raised this standard. Jesus' standard is above our standard. And his grace is above our own power. He gives us victory and power. We are to not walk into places where temptation can overcome us. There are places that I won't walk into. I know what they would do to me. There are situations that I won't go into them because I know what they could do to me. I urge you to live sensibly, godly in this present generation. You think, you know, is church really the place, is a Bible study the place to discuss this? Let me ask you this. If not here, then where? Then where? Where are we going to discuss this? Where do people discuss this? Jacob told us the problem with his son. He said he was uncontrollable as water in the sexual realm and it cost him his preeminence. In the Bible, Jesus was most merciful with the sexual sinner. He was most merciful with the sexual sinner. He He's with a, a woman by the well. A woman comes, he's sitting by a well and... She starts having some theological discussion with him in John chapter four. Jesus says to her, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. And he could have said to her, why you tramp, you've had five husbands. And the one you're now living with is not your husband. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said to her, you've said truly you have no husband because you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband, but you said correctly he's not your husband because he's not your husband, that you have no husband now. He turned her lie into a truth. That's how merciful Jesus is. He didn't say to her, you tramp. He said, yeah, you know, you, you've spoken correctly. Yep, you've had five husbands, but the one you're with now is not your husband, so that's right. You, you don't have a husband. I said, call your husband, and technically you're right. You don't have a husband. I mean, this, Jesus was so amazingly merciful. In in uh, in the genealogies of Jesus in the book of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, it mentions all men except four women. There are four women mentioned. All of those women are Gentiles. None of them is a Jew. Sarah Sarah had a hugely high place in the Bible. Doesn't mention her. Mentions four women, all of them Gentiles. Mentions Tamar. Tamar was guilty of of uh, uh, prostitution and incest. Uh, mentions Rahab. She had been a prostitute. Uh, you, sh- you see how God is showing how much he loves women, number one, and also those who have fallen into sexual sin. Uh, he speaks of Ruth, a Moabitess. Well, Ruth, though her- herself, she doesn't note sexual sin. She is the product of, of uh, the relationship. She is a descendant of the relationship of Lot, with, where he had incest with his oldest daughter. She was a Moabite. That was the descendancy of the Moabites. And then it also mentions Bathsheba, who herself was raped by David the king, and uh uh though she had done no wrong herself, and uh um, and so and you can even see that in the context of the way the, the wording occurs. So so but here's a woman who was raped, and God reaches out to her and mentions her name right here in the genealogy of Jesus, and she too was a Gentile. So you see that God's mercy abounds, abounds toward toward uh, um, uh, the sexual sinner. The love of God is shown in this. This is what the love of God is shown in. It is a total self-donation. The love of God, we're called to love as Christ loves. It is a total self-donation for the good of the other. If you or I do anything for another person Other than in the other's best interest, it's not the love of God. Love is looking out for the other's best interest. This is the only context for proper sexual love. It's the other's best interest, is the only context for proper sexual love. The marital embrace is a particular sexual expression of loving as Christ loves. This is the only context in which we can understand scriptural sexual ethics And it is summed up in one simple question. And that's this. Does this act? Does this behavior? Does this thought truly image the love of God? Does this act? Does this behavior? Does this thought truly image the love of God? If it does not, it's not God's definition of love. And in that teaching, I just bring people into this. And I urge you, if you haven't gone through that, to go through it. And I know that young people these days are non-linear learners. They click all over the place. This one, you got to do it linearly. You start in part one and then you go to part two. And then after part two, you go to part three, six part series. Because if you skip around, it won't make sense. It just builds on. It's like jumping into organic chemistry at chapter 14. There's no way you're going to get it. You've got to know the nomenclature and you've got to understand what molecules look like before you can jump over to the middle of the book. <clears throat> so you go over this. And, <clears throat> and the, the five parts, the, the, <clears throat> the, six, the, the five remaining parts are redemption is not a sham, there's victory over lust, uh, the true meaning of manhood, the true meaning of womanhood, converting the Christian bedroom from hell on earth to heaven on earth, And marriage is not a sham. Lowering the divorce rate from 52% to less than 1%. When couples practice the very things that I talk about in that series, the divorce rate falls to less than 1%. And these are not my numbers. These numbers have been, because what I teach is not unique to me. But what I teach in there, it lowers the divorce rate to less than 1%. So it would be criminal of me to not let you know that there is a way that you can go through a marriage and have less than 1% divorce rate if you practice your marriage in a certain way. So I urge you to listen to that. Don't be uncontrollable as water. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, particularly for the young people today that you give them victory in this sexual realm that they would not be thrust from preeminence and destroy so much in their lives. Lord, protect them, I pray. Protect their lives. Lord, keep them from temptation, I pray, and deliver them from evil. And make that their own prayer to learn to say, Lord, uh, deliver me from temptation. Keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. Keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. Father, protect them, I pray. I pray for good, healthy, and strong marriages in the lives of these young people. Lord, your protection be upon them, I pray, in the name of Jesus.